0: Hey, Hi. So, we're at the ASP, the annual meeting of the ICC. Why aren't you dressed up as Carla Del Ponte, as promised? Um, I just
1: said that I was upset that they wouldn't have the costumes, but I thought I would look out of place um,
0: as Car- dressed up as Carla Del Ponte, because nobody else
1: is dressed up. So. Oh, but
0: I've seen the hat. I've seen the bow tie. There are definitely people dressed up.
1: Yes, I think we should just go with our asymmetrical haircuts as the trademark. Asymmetrical haircuts. Justice Update with Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg.
0: All right, I started off with the first breakfast meeting, which was about the lessons learnt from the trial of the former Ivorian president Laurent Gbagbo and his supporter Charles Blake Goudet. Um, It was a really interesting way to start off this whole week because so many of the issues that have come out from that trial uh, seem to be relevant to so many different levels of the discussions around the ICC, whether the prosecution has really organized itself well, whether um, the whether it 's clear what role the judges should be playing uh, in the pre trial arena and uh, what they do at trial the idea that you've got a trial that just finishes halfway through without even the defense getting a chance to to say anything yet you've had somebody in jail for eight years um on this i mean there was there was so much to say uh and if you were looking back on this i mean if you've had to write about this stuff what what are you saying when you're trying to analyze what went wrong with this trial Well, a lot of the interest that that I had was that it went to um, the prosecution thinking
1: they had a really good case with a lot of insider witnesses, but then you saw that they were getting these people on the stands and these people were not exactly saying what the prosecution thought they were going to say or they were hesitant to incriminate themselves. So from the outside, it looked very much that the prosecution overestimated the evidence it had and it also plays into the fact that it's getting harder and harder to try people higher up because you always have to prove those links, uh, and that was really what was lacking in this case the the quality of the insider witnesses and the actual links between the people uh, deciding weren 't very clear in that case
0: and the discussion was um, not only the detail of the trial but also these kind of bigger implications of what it all means for the ICC and the legal counsel of the African Union, for example, Namira Negam, she really used this session to critique the, whole, the court's whole practices.
1: In fact, the case of Banko and Blay is a wake-up call to the international community in general and specifically to the member states of the ICC. What's so special about this case, it's not politics now, as always well claimed when there's criticism to the court. But it's the breach by an international court of basic principles of human rights, the rights of the accused, or rather the rights of the acquitted. How on earth an acquitted remains in jail?
0: But what was also interesting was the link that was made um, between uh, discussing something that's already happened at the court and what we're looking forward to. We've already discussed it in our podcast with the ICC watchers from the NGOs. Yeah,
1: they're really looking forward to this idea of an independent review with independent experts, thinking exactly. that this is going to revitalise the court. But
0: nobody is quite too sure whether it's really going to work out. Um, the Dutch ambassador to the ICC, Paul Vanden Eysel, at least he put his whole government support behind it, saying that he thought this was an important process.
1: I always describe this ASP not so much as a meeting of state parties, but as the annual fair of international criminal justice, um, where sometimes side events are more interesting and sometimes more important than what are discussed in, in the main hall. Uh, but this time I really hope that we will discuss a lot of substance and review and we'll come out better than we started. And there was lots going on at lunchtime, uh, but we managed to go to uh, the discussion around the recently put together Hague principles on sexual violence with trying to translate survivors' experience into real terms. This was organized, uh, among other things, by the Women's Initiatives for Gender Justice. And they have been consulting for months on this. And they also have a campaign that goes along with it, uh, which is called Call It What It Is.
0: It's really interesting, I think, how much of a consensus there is around this with all kinds of states agreeing that we need to change maybe some of or what is in the Rome statute, or at least we need to elucidate, um, make clearer exactly what is meant by these terms of rape and sexual violence. Um, what I thought was interesting in this discussion was that you actually had, for example, a rape survivor, Tufa Jallo, who was from the Gambia, and she was talking about the um, problems that you can have, for example, with local language. If you have local languages that 90% of the people speak mostly, even though the, the official language is English, and in those local languages the word rape or the term sexual violence is really reduced to falling down like danu or jumping on someone like the mandinka word. If you translate it, it really minimizes what the act is, and kind of makes it very innocent and jovial and and interactive and consensual instead of what it really is. So it was to focus on languages and how do we reinterpret and find words that do fit this. And that also trickles down to the whole issue and the idea of stigmatizing victims.
1: And there was also a judge, um, Howard Morrison, who worked at the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda who explained in really practical terms uh, something he came across when when having a trial there that a woman uh, wanted to explain what happened to her and just didn't have the language. As a judge, what I need is evidence. Now, a lot of things stop that sort of evidence coming forward. Fear, culture. I remember a case when I was in... The ICTR, a woman had been stopped, a Tutsi woman had been stopped at a roadblock with her family. family was slaughtered, dreadful. She was taken into the bushes by a number of men. And what did she say? These men took me into the bushes and married me. Now, we knew what she meant, but she wasn't prepared to say she'd been raped. Why? Because of the cultural consequences of doing so. And unless you have prosecutors and judges who understand that, then they're going to think that was a very strange answer indeed. So that was our day at the ICC ASP, where we'll be skulking the halls again on Tuesday to get some interesting quotes and points of view from people we run into.
0: And thanks to our intern, Hannah, who's actually putting these justice updates together. And she's logging around these very heavy microphones and other equipment. And we hopefully that will make us sound good. So if you see us with two very, very big microphones, then you'll know it's us. Asymmetrical haircuts. For you at the ASP. See you tomorrow.